Welcome to BIB Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief. You know, one of Vancouver's emerging success stories is the space technology and big data firm Earth Daily Analytics, which is building a 10-satellite constellation to orbit the Earth, capture climate conditions to help a range of issues. It's recently announced a partnership with a Quebec firm, INO, which has thermal cameras and other measurement technology. Very exciting what this proposes for us in the way of having a tech leader in our community that actually has a world-class technology in the skies. Um, it's a good opportunity to discuss the firm's vision with its CEO, Don Osborne, who joins me now. Good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Kirk. It's a pleasure to be here and talk about the company and the great and exciting things that we're doing. All right. Well, if you you know if you were to gauge our current conditions today, Don, um, if your technology were up there right now, what would it be helping us better understand? Well, it might be having some problems because it's an optical system. It's based on uh, being able to penetrate uh, and use light, which of course is being hindered by our current forest fire issues. So we have a, a smog issue that we're all sitting in the middle of. So that wouldn't be terribly helpful, but certainly in terms of fires, that's one of the things that we can provide early detection of because we are looking at the earth every day and, and some of the spectral bands we use are able to pick up uh, the early start of forest fires, for example. Yeah, what, what sorts of decisions do you think would be flowing from this kind of reliable data? You know, the way we think about this and what we think the world needs is uh, some global change detection system using Earth observation, which helps address some of the global problems which exist today. And whether you've mentioned a few, uh, climate change, for example, food security is another one, water security or water access as we move forward. Um, historically, Earth observation satellites have provided uh, imagery. And what I mean by that, they take discrete snapshots, think of it as pictures, if you will, and maybe in different spectral bands of the Earth at different points in time. And what we believe is if you look consistently across the Earth every day, for instance, you're able to detect change and you do that across the entire Earth's surface. So we think we're going to be able to contribute significantly to the solution. We're not the solution for climate change, but some of the things that we're going to learn from looking at the Earth every day should be able to contribute uh, to those solutions, whether that's climate change, uh, you know, food security or uh, water access, for example. When um, when you look at the existing technology and what we've got, and you look at your technology and what it will provide, uh, is there are there particular problems it's going to solve? Do you think? So the classic uh, Earth observation, if we talk about that specifically, is really focused on providing ever increasing resolution. And when you look with ever increasing resolution, you tend to look for an, through a narrow and narrower uh, field of view. So this is the classic all the way down to a spook novel where you're trying to read the license plate on the car from space, which you can then take subsequent action on, which you determine that the bad guy's in the car. Um, no. you know, we're coming at this a different way. We're saying, let's look at the entire globe every day and look for the bigger and the macro changes that are happening. And when I say macro, it's not as in very large. It can be something that's say the five meters of change. So it could be cars moving, for instance, it could be the build out of roads infrastructure, it could be the monitoring of forests, it could be looking at water levels in lakes and, and reservoirs go up and down, all those sorts of things. So it's sort of a different perspective, trying to solve a different set of problems. Uh, as a layperson in this one, I'm always fascinated by what the technology can see. And, and it seems like your technology will see better and better. I guess what I wonder about is, how does it then get analyzed? 
and and how does it then get transformed into some decisions perhaps to deploy resources uh, not deploy resources move you know move pieces around in order to basically capitalize on the finding so you know that's that's the trick in the industry um, and that's partly the failure of the industry to date uh, you know when you take a picture of something this is equivalent to um, cameras, you know, we went through the whole how many megapixels were in a camera, what was the quality of the image that was produced. If you're actually going to look at global change detection, you need to be able to compare images on a day-to-day -day basis and look for change. And if the quality of the image is poor, if the geolocation or the lining up, you know, as a kid, I grew up in grade school where we had light tables and you did tracing by putting images on top of each other. And if they didn't align correctly, you end up thinking that, well, the image is not the same or it's different or the changes are relative to a change in the image when in reality, you just didn't do a good job of aligning. So it's the same thing in this business. And the trick is to create a data set on a daily basis, which is comparable so that you can actually detect true change. So we've gone to great lengths to A, create quality of the data and then B, create a processing system which constantly calibrates that data and aligns that data and compares that data in a way which detects that change. Once you've got that change, then you can take action. And depending on our customers and the segment of the market we're working with, um, you know, those customers and sometimes ourselves, because we're vertically integrated, take appropriate action. So I could take you a little bit further if you want to go into ag for a specific example. It's, uh, yeah, because because I'm interested in in the intersection here with the machine learning that goes into this, which you know it's, it's obviously not going to be a a big you know room full of people st standing in front of cameras all day. I mean, I presume that machines are going to be interpreting a lot of this. You're exactly right, and when you're looking on a global basis, it's it's just economically impossible to have enough people to evaluate the data and look for a change. So it has to be done through machine learning or as we call it commonly AI, uh, which again, brings you back to if it's not a high quality data, then you have a poor assessment of what the change is. So garbage in, garbage out. Um, you know, I'll give you a good example of what we're doing in food security. You know, We have a war going on in Ukraine, as you know, and I think everybody is well aware now um, that the uh, the wheat exports between Russia and Ukraine form about 30% of the export market globally. So it's a they are collectively huge exporters, both of which are now stymied for different reasons in the marketplace. Ukraine physically can't produce, and and Ukraine and Russia has issues with who they can sell to and who is willing to buy. Um, so you take that and you end, end up having a big problem. So when we when the war started in Ukraine, we as a company went in, we had some business there, uh, and immediately the farmers uh, you know had trouble um, well, managing their farms at all or even being on their farms. Um, we actually decided to give our data for free. So we're working with the farmers to give them data to try and maximize what they can do with their crop yield. But effectively, think of it this way, we're able to look at, the crop yield of wheat in Ukraine and Russia and other areas. And if you, we had the system up, we'd be able to do it globally. And we can effectively follow the yield curve of grain on every farm in the world and assess wow. what that likely output will be, which is a pretty powerful tool. And, you know, we're all talking today about what happens with the shortage. Can Canada make it up? You know, if you go to Morocco, for example, which is a large importer of Ukraine's wheat, they have their own drought and they would normally have relied on Ukraine, which of course they can't get 
their week from there. So you're starting to see a ripple effect around the world of some of these shortfalls. Yeah, it's pretty incredible technology. Um, I'm not naive out there. I know that there's a fair amount of intelligence and military application of, of this kind of uh, this kind of technology. Um, what are your own um, boundaries for Earth Daily Analytics and, and what what you're using and not using it for? You know, we we built this business today around uh, what we would call consider commercial opportunities or you know commercial contribution to some of these larger. Uh, global problems. The focus of the business has not been in uh, defense. Having said that, there's applications for large ob object tracking. For instance, uh, maritime domain awareness is a good example where we can contribute. You know, the trick in maritime domain awareness is to aggregate multiple sources of data, whether that's a picture of the the, the physical ship, the synthetic aperture radar signature of the ship, the AIS signal, which is transmitting, which says, I am this ship and I'm here for this reasons. You aggregate all those things and you then determine where you may have a ship that isn't producing the proper signals or where the signals exist where the ship isn't. So you're looking at what's, what's called dark targets. So it's an area where we can contribute, um, but we are obviously not the tool of choice if you're trying to read the license plate on the car to see if that's the car of the bad. But when you talk about maritime application, you know, I recently re uh, read a, a really interesting uh, project in the New York Times where it took a look at uh, overfishing in yep. the Pacific and, uh, and how uh, ships that uh, ostensibly were coming from China, but parts of Asia as well, uh, were obviously moving into waters that, uh, that you know, they ought probably not to be in. That kind right. of thing is. So, so it has some intersection potentially, though, does it not, with policing at the very least, right? Yeah, absolutely. You get into illegal fishing, you get into human smuggling, which is, uh, you know, coming by sea is a popular way mm -hmm. to, to expedite that. So, uh, yes, it is certainly a tool. It is one of the tools can be brought to bear, again, aggregated with other uh, sources of information to help determine where mm -hmm. improper action is taking place. So... Um, you know, how, how does a, I mean, boy, maybe this is a, a naive question as well, but how does a Vancouver company get into a world competitive field like this? What's the, the path there? You know, um, Canada's been active in space for decades. Uh, it started with satellite communications because of the nature of the company and connecting Canadians, which is a pretty disparate uh, population across a broad um, a broad landscape. Um, we moved into Earth observation with some of the work that was done in the 70s and 80s with synthetic aperture, which led synthetic aperture radar, which led to RadarSat-1, the first satellite which was flown in the 90s. Um, you know, so we have an active uh, ecosystem of, if you will, of people which have satellite expertise. And that uh, really, uh, along with the the view of the market, which you know we consider ourselves a market-driven company, not a technology-driven company, allowed us to put together this system to address these problems. So we're lucky enough in Vancouver. Uh, you know, we are a software company. We are not building any of the satellites here in in, sure. in Vancouver. It's done through a series of subcontractors, as you mentioned. INO is one of them in Quebec City. ABB is another one and uh, other portions of the satellite are being built uh, both in the United States and, and in Europe. So 
you know, we're not we're not a satellite hardware company. We're a software company. We deal with the data, the processing of the data, and putting that into uh, insights uh, for use of these problems. Does our um, do our geopolitics uh, in a certain way help us here, Don? We're we're not perceived to be a a large power. We're perceived to be a power that has that, that doesn't really assert itself in that way. Um, I'm not sure our geopolitics hurt us or help us. I, I certainly were, we're not a controversial nation. I think we are considered, you know, a peacekeeping nation, if I will. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is part of that uh, from our perspective. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it, it helps us immensely, but I would say it certainly doesn't hurt us in the marketplace. And it is a global marketplace for us. We are selling globally. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of the, the last area I want to talk to you about, which is uh, these are large partners and uh, collaborators, and even in the case of a Canadian Space Agency, a large client. So, so uh, tell me a little bit, give, give us your, uh, give, give us, give us your kind of like technique on how it is that you go and approach these places so that they don't think that you're just a bit of a pretender on this one. Because uh, there, there would probably be a lot of charlatans and pretenders in this field. There are. Um, one of the things that, you know, in this industry happens is a bunch of bright people get together and decide about how they're going to do something and then announce that they're going to do it and actually never execute. Um, you know, we're way past that point. We can show people pictures of the hardware that's being built. We have a world-class uh, set of subcontractors, which are manufacturing the satellites. They're about 50% built at this point. Our first launch will be in January 2024 now. Um, we slipped from the end of 2023 based on the launch vehicle availability. Um, but, you know, once those are up, we'll be able to demonstrate the hardware and the, uh, and the software. We can demonstrate our capabilities today through our analytics company in agriculture, and we also can process other people's data so we can show what the output of our system will be uh, to some extent, obviously not to the full extent. Um, so I think our credibility is there in terms of how we sell. We do it a combination of direct sales. So we're building out a sales staff now, which will be global in nature. And we sell through partners. There are parts of the world where, um, you know, it's complicated and you really want an in-country partner because of language and culture, et cetera, to make the sale. So it's a so fairly complicated business. Whether it's you in the room or, or someone senior in your team, uh, is there a point where you know that you persuaded them? Is there an aha moment? You know, the, the, the aha moments come fast and furious these days. That's the exciting part of our business. We really think we have a unique solution. Um, and whenever we talk with people today, it's, wow, this is exactly what we're looking for. Um, and can you get us the data tomorrow? Like they're more frustrated than we are about that wait time. And that unfortunately is one of the issues of satellites. You know, it takes some time to manufacture them. They are complicated and complex items. So, and they have to go up on a rocket, which, you know, it's not like a bus leaves every day for space. Uh, they leave a few times a year. So, you know, I think uh, that aha moment, if you will, is happening. Um, we're convinced of that. Uh, it's really just about getting everything over the finish line and up and running. So, Tell me what that finish line looks like now. Is it, uh, is it 2026, seven, somewhere in there? Uh, what, what it will all be up and operational by the middle of 2024. So, you know, that sounds like a long time away, but in satellite speak, that's like tomorrow. So, yeah. And um, is there a, a cost to fix to what this all amounts to? Is this, you know, how many, how many uh, pop bottles is this one uh, to, uh, to collect, you know, 
You know, if you're uh, you're asking me in terms of the overall uh, cost of the project, if you will, it's uh, I don't want to be very specific, but suffice to say, it's hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's a lot of pop bottles that you have to collect and, and return in order to get that kind of money. And uh, do you have on the other side of it uh, the clientele yet, or is this going to be more of a you know? Proof of concept type of thing. No, we are we're going we're going for the full Monty in terms of deployment. So we okay. have everything, all ten satellites under construction. Um, you know, we think that's important to provide the the value proposition which we're promising, which is really to be looking at the whole the Earth in its entirety every day. Uh, we have some customers that have signed up in advance. They've seen that value proposition. They were anxious to sign up. We've also giving them a break on the pricing to, you know, to enhance or to uh, encourage them to do that. Uh, we are in discussions with the Canadian government about how they would use this data in various elements of, uh, of uh, government departments, for example, whether that's environment or health and safety or other areas. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're trying to sign customers up now. Obviously, our, our financiers uh, would like to see as many orders as early as possible. That's part of the push from their perspective. Um, but so far, so good, I have to say. Um, uh, you may want to defer on this question, but I am also very surprised at times when governments aren't the first purchasers. Is is that unusual in your business? Um, you know, if I had one thing, and I, I you know, I, I've been around in this industry now for many decades. I won't say exactly how many, but suffice to say, I think the one thing that the government can do or should do is to be a little bit quicker to step up and be an earlier adopter of Canadian technology. And I say that not talking about specifically space, but about, uh, you know, startup companies in general. They are good at financing, you know, and supporting R&D efforts. But really what is important is to show your government is one of the early and first users of that technology. And frankly, that's a benchmark that other customers look at. You know, if I'm into another country and into their government telling them this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, they say, well, I trust that the Canadian government sees it the same way. And if you have to look at your feet and say, well, we haven't quite managed, you know, they have budget cycles, they're not ready to buy in advance of the product being available. They kind of say, well, why don't you come back to us at the same time you sell to Canada? So. I would certainly encourage the Canadian government to step up in a lot of areas. And again, I'm not talking about um, satellite yeah. per se. But it looks like you threaded the needle. Um, some others haven't, but at least you got through. Um, listen, great to talk to you. Uh, by the way, uh, how, how long before space is cluttered? Uh, you know, it, it's cluttered today. Uh, fortunately, where we fly and with what we fly, um, there's enough room up there. So that's not a short-term concern. I think you're going to see a lot more regulation about what happens at the end of life for satellites. A lot of people just walk away and let them eventually fall out of the sky. But I think there's going to be a lot more active cleanup, um, which is going to be enforced on the industry. So uh, we don't have uh, recurring problems in the future. I'm still waiting for the satellite that can track my golf ball and find it in the bushes. <laughs> Me too. Is there one of those coming? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> okay, well, think about it. <laughs> you know, you got, got a little side hustle project there, Don, you want to try. You know, that, That's an idea. Um, I like that. I'm, I could certainly use that. That would save me a lot of money too. I'm a pretty good client on that one. Um, okay. Good to talk to you, Don Osborne. Good to see you. Good to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time today. Don Osborne is the CEO of Earth Daily Analytics. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief at Business in Vancouver. Thanks a lot for watching.